the school is out. Which means it's time for Hi Kids. Be our guest from Beauty and the Beast. What good music to start a show with. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hi Kids show. This is Hi Kids, for Kids, Bar Kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm your host for today. Thank you for choosing 101.9 Hi FM. So coming up on Hakis today, I'm going to be speaking to Craig Allenby. He is the manager of commercial services. Just stay tuned to 101.9 Hi FM and we will find out about them soon. Also, on the show I have a tongue twister to challenge your mouth and a Hakis riddle to challenge your brain. And you can win a zoo hamper that's filled with zoo gifts. So stay tuned to 101.9 Hi FM. You don't want to miss this kids show. Here are the details if you have any questions for my guest or if you just want to say hi to my friend to, our, to friends and family. The SMS number is 34519 and is charged at 1.50. You can send me a WhatsApp on 0618951019. And please don't forget to sign your name. You can also call us on 010-140-3020. I repeat, 010-140-3020. Get ready for a very interesting show on High Kids. You're listening to High Kids on 101.9 High FM. This is High Kids, for Kids, Park Kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm 11 years old. Good afternoon. Hi, Bria. Hello, thank you so much for coming. I'm so excited to learn more about the zoo. Oh, it's great being here. Thank you. So what is your role as director at the zoo? Well, I'm like the dad at the, at the National Zoo. That's the Pretoria Zoo. I'm responsible for all the animals there to make sure that they get food every day, that they're happy, that they're looked after. But just as importantly, I've got to look after the humans as well to make sure that the caregivers of the animals are taken care of, that they, they're happy and that they're developing and that they look after our animals. So you've got quite a big job. Oh, it's a fun job. Lots of people would love to do the kind of work that I do. So you enjoy it? Very much. It's always something to look forward to every day. You know, going into the zoo, I get to do what people do on, on holidays. Every day I can go into the zoo and look at animals. So that, that's really fun. So you sound like you like animals a lot. Oh, they, they make our lives so much better. You know, they, they're always, they're such a blessing to have. Animals are just so important to all of us. Especially the ones that are getting extinct, unfortunately. They are like amazing to see, like you cannot, maybe you won't be able to see, to see them in a couple of years' time, unfortunately. Yeah, that's really scary if one thinks about it. There's so many magnificent animals out there, uh, rhinos, example, lemurs. In that uh, hamper that we've given, there's a software lemur in it. But can you imagine not being able to see them, just seeing them in, in, in coloring books or on television? That's the scary thing. That's what makes my job so much fun, is that we're trying to save these species. So what do you do to save them? Well, we have a number of things that we do at the zoo. So first of all, we, we actually try and breed with them so that we have more of them available to put back into wild. But then we also do research on them as well, not physical research, invasive research, but getting to understand them better, what their needs are, and how we, we can make the environment better for the animals. So it's all about research, about breeding with the animals, but also educating people on them, getting them to understand the importance of animals. You understand, you know, that Disney theme about the circle of life and how people fit into it and how they can change their behavior to look after animals as well and the environment. So how, 
how do animals, why do people want to kill animals? They're such beautiful things. Why would anyone want to destroy an animal? I, I wish we could all have that, that sentiment because if, if everyone viewed animals as so important, uh, it would make our life a lot easier. But, but sometimes, um, you know, there's pressure between the environment and people as well, people trying to survive, people that are in, in very poor areas. So sometimes it's a means as, uh, of, of earning money uh, through poaching animals. They're also just trying to survive as well. So there's a bit of tension or pressure between the environment and humans. So I think that's some of the reasons why. And, then of course, some people just don't know what they're doing. It's the wrong behavior and the impact that they're making on the world out there. So specifically rhinos, are the horns very valuable? They you sell them? You can't sell them because there's a control on, on the sale of, of rhino horns. But in certain cultures, they are very valuable because people have a belief that they can cure almost any form of illness. So for them, it's very valuable. And rhinos are, are just so few left. So that pushes up the value of the rhino horns. And that really is the reason why you know, a lot of our rhinos are being poached, being poached is to, to sell in, in Asian countries for, for these medicinal or the medicine properties of the horns. Do you believe that rhino horns can actually cure sicknesses? That's the, the scary part is, you know, Western medicine has done a lot of research around it. And we know that rhino horns are very similar in nature to what your fingernails are. And there's not much properties in fingernails, but it's, it's a culture, it's a belief that people have. And that's very difficult to change. Definitely. If someone has a strong belief, it's very hard to change that belief, especially when they have people backing them up. Because if you're on your own and you're trying to make people believe something and you might just not exactly succeed. But when you have lots of people who are doing it with you, it's much easier. Yeah, because they've, be, they've believed this all their lives. You know, this is a generation and generation of learning that's behind. It. And you can't just change it overnight. You know, if you try and change people's basic beliefs, this takes a lot of education before people will actually uh, start changing. And that's what, what's driving rhino poaching is the belief that these rhino horns can, can cure almost any disease, you know, from cancer to you name it, rhino horn can cure it in their eyes. And that's their belief. So you don't think that they can cure that, that many sicknesses? You don't think that, that they can actually cure the sicknesses? Not at all. I think the, the most important part where the rhino horn should be is on the rhino itself and not trying to cure other people and humans and that. Because uh, the rhino has got its horn for a specific reason, and that's to protect itself. And that's where that horn should remain with the rhino on its face. Has an animal ever been poached in, in Pretoria Zoo? Fortunately not, but you know it's a big challenge for us. Uh, we've, we, we don't want anything like this happening, so we've got security 24 hours a day, uh, through the day, through the evening, looking after our animals. We've got uh, technology in place, such as cameras that we're using. Our animals are very important to us. Um, we're, just, we're just talking about rhinos, so we've had to make that decision to to uh, we refer to it as dehorning. That's actually trimming the horn of the rhino just to to reduce the risk that our, our rhinos face. It's scary that we have to do that, but they are so valuable and so important to us that we had to make the decision. So what do you do with the horns? That, that is quite a challenge to what, what happens to them, but we don't keep it at the zoo. It goes to a very safe area uh, where it's controlled and looked after. That's a big, big challenge to us because it's you know it's so valuable for for people out there intrinsically or the actual value of the rhino is really nothing because as i said it's nail clippings but for certain people it means a lot so couldn't you just say to the people in the west like oh yeah fingernails instead of our rhino horns 
Again, you know, it, it's beliefs. <laughs> if it was only so easy for uh, so easy for the people in the east just to send off nail clippings, but again, they believe that those rhino horns are important and that they can cure illnesses. So they don't see the similarity between fingernails and rhino horns. Again, it's very difficult. Can you see the similarity between a rhino horn and your fingernails? They look very different. Yeah, that's true. They do look very different. Yeah, so, you know, they, they don't understand the science behind that. You know, I think for a lot of people out there, even even our listeners, if we said to them, rhino horns are very similar to finger cutting, fingernail cuttings, they're going to look at you strangely and think you're talking nonsense to them. It's I, education. I actually remember once asking my mother what a rhino horn was made out of, and she said that's the same thing as a fingernail, and I was like, okay. Right. Yeah, nice story. You pull another one on me. <laughs> How many animals do you have at the zoo? We have a number of species. So individual animals, it's about 5,000 animals that we've 5, got. 5,000? 5,000. That's remember, a big number. Lot that's a lot to look after. That's a lot to look after. But it's all the way through. You know, we talk about taxons. That's various types of animals. So it's all the way through from amphibians, little frogs, uh, fish, uh, ava, which are birds. And then we have mammals and that as well. So... It's a large number. So we've got an aquarium at the zoo as well. There are a lot of fish in the aquarium. We've got a lot of birds. And then we've got the big five as well in terms of the mammals. So there's a lot to come and see at the zoo. Definitely. Animals are quite interesting. And they, 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 are, they can be entertaining as well and they can be scary. We've got Komodo dragons at the zoo. Now, those of you who don't know what a Komodo dragon looks like, it's a huge, huge lizard that occurs in Indonesia. And that animal is believed to be the most dangerous animal because it's got poison glands in its mouth, but it also has a number of bacteria in its mouth. So when it bites you, it, you actually die from two things. One, it's the poison, and the second one, with all this bacteria in its mouth, you get this huge infection. So you become really ill and you're poisoned. So that's quite interesting. So why would someone want to go and see that animal? Because it's beautiful, it's majestic to see this this huge, huge, impressive lizard that only occurs on like three islands in Indonesia. Wow. So that's why it's so great to be able to come to the zoo in Pretoria and see something like that. Otherwise, you're going to fly thousands of kilometers to go and see this on that small island in Indonesia. So how do you get that animal into its cage? So first of all, what, what we do at all zoos in, around the world is we don't collect animals from the wild. You know, that used to happen many, many, many years ago. We don't do that anymore. So what we do is we exchange animals with each other. So anything that's born at the zoo that we feel it's important to keeping the population going or to keeping the species alive, we exchange it with other zoos. So we'll send, for instance, whatever. Let's say, for instance, we've got extra rhino. We'll send them to a zoo in London, and they'll send us the Komodo dragons. So the pair of Komodo dragons that we have at the zoo were an exchange program that we did with the Chester Zoo, and Chester's in the northeast of England. So they've come, and they were born at the Chester Zoo as well. So that's how we get animals at the zoo. And then, of course, you've got to be... Uh, educated person or trained person so all the people that actually look after the animals our zookeepers are all highly trained to be able to look after them to know uh, how to feed them how to be safe with them because you know safety can be a big issue at the zoo definitely so are you constantly getting new animals we have to, because first of all, those that we've got in the zoo, we've got to try and and look after and make sure that we can breed more animals and and the aim of, of zoos nowadays is to identify critically endangered species, then to breed for those, those animals, and then hopefully to reintroduce them back into, into the wild. And just to give you an example of a project that was done now recently, was done between ourselves, 
the Johannesburg Zoo and then the guys at um, Cape Nature uh, at the uh, KwaZulu Natal Nature Conservation where we bred frogs, little pickers gill reed frogs, about the size of your fingernail. But they were joking. Cl- that's small. Uh, that size, yeah. Beautifully, highly colored, colorful ones, but they're busy going extinct in the wild. So we bred quite a few of them. The zoo, the National Zoo, the Pretoria Zoo, did all the genetic work on them. Uh, genetic work on them. We tested to see, you know, are they healthy? What do they look like? How do they function? And we've actually gone back and re- released them into a very specific area. So that's what zoos are trying to do now is reintroduce animals. So that's why we've got to bring zoo animals into the zoo the whole time is to keep our own collections going, but also to be able to successfully breed with them to hopefully one day, when necessary, release back into the wild. So are there any, let's say, rhinos in the wild because they're so endangered? There are. And um, that's, South Africa has done a lot of great work in terms of rhino conservation. Um, but it's placing a huge, amount, a huge amount of stress on these organizations, such as the Kruger National Park. We have to try and keep them safe. But we're doing well in terms of, of looking after them. But poaching is a big problem out there with rhino. Definitely. It's very scary what's happening with rhinos. And they're such magnificent animals. Big, majestic. Very. They're big. <laughs> Humongous. And quite entertaining sometimes. Yeah, indeed, but they can be just as dangerous as well. That's why it's very important to study the rhinos, to know their behavior, so that you can keep safe around them as well. So if they're so dangerous, like I've been to the zoo before, and they have a low sort of wall, so isn't that quite dangerous? Can't the rhinos go over the wall? Now, all the enclosures that we have at the zoo are specifically designed to keep not only the visitors and the staff safe, but to keep the animals safe as well. So we'd know what the behavior of the animals are. So you would know, for instance, that you don't have to have a very high wall around a rhino enclosure because they don't climb. They have limited eyesight. So that's why you can have a relatively low wall. They're not able to jump, for instance, so they... It's very unlikely that they're going to escape through the enclosure, you know, the wall. But they've so got they can't actually step over the wall. But they're normally high enough that they can't do that. But I think with the big challenge with rhinos, you must make sure that that barrier is very secure because they're such strong animals. You know, those horns, they can really do a lot of damage. I think you've seen some YouTube uh, clips as well where rhinos actually stick their horns through car doors. So that's why it's so important to design that enclosure properly. Uh, to make sure that um, they can't break it and get out. So each cage is designed specifically for that animal? Yeah. We, we, we don't talk about cages anymore. We talk about enclosures uh, because cages are, you know, very bars and concrete floors. And zoos have, have moved away from it. Yeah, in the early 1900s, we used to keep animals in cages because that's all we knew about them. So we had concrete floors and big bars because that's how we thought we keep them in there and that's what their needs are. But now we've studied them so much, we know that they have different needs. Uh, so we don't have cages anymore. Now we have more natural enclosures. We do away with concrete. And then we have something that we call environmental enrichment. That environmental enrichment is trying to make the animals behave as naturally as possible. So if an animal is used to walking around and searching for food, you don't go and put its food in one specific area. You now scatter it throughout the enclosure, forcing it to do that natural behavior, walking around, looking for food. And there's some interesting ways of of encouraging natural behavior as well. An interesting fact, our bears used to love Greek salad dressing. So if you wanted them to move around the enclosure, you would spray Greek salad dressing in certain areas, and they would then walk trying to sniff this out. It just, That's so funny. It's just the scent used to be unique to them. And now they're used to it. 
Well, you've, you always have to do something new. So you'll try some Greek salad dressing today. Tomorrow you'll put elephant dung into the enclosure. Again, something new and fresh and exciting for them. That's how you do environmental enrichment. Cool. Okay. Let's take a quick break with the song and we'll be right back. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. Okay. Let's carry on with the interview. If you have any questions for my guest, please send an SMS to 34519 or WhatsApp to 061-895-1019. And you can win. I have a Kids riddle to challenge your brain. What is something known to have a silver lining? And you can win an awesome zoo hamper with awesome gifts. So send your SMS to 34519 or WhatsApp to 061-895-1019. I also have a tongue twister to challenge your brain. It is, which witch went rich? Now, let's carry on with the questions. So what is your favorite animal? Well, that, that's an interesting question, Bria. I think, first of all, I know what song was playing, first of all. was from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> no, they gave me some time to think. We have, we have so many wonderful animals at, at the zoo, but I think my, my very favorite is an animal called an akapi. And I think the reason I like it so much is it looks like it's been made up of spare parts because it looks like a giraffe. It's got a long neck like a giraffe, and then it's got weird stripes around the back. Like it's rump, it's got stripes like a zebra, and then it's got a body of an antelope. So it really looks like there was some, you know, there's a neck laying here, and yes, a bottom of a zebra laying around, and that's an okapi. So we have uh, an okapi at the zoo, beautiful animal, and I think just because it's so unique, I think that's my favorite. It does sound like a very unique animal. It is. It's it's beautiful, and again, it's an endangered animal. It occurs in in the in a specific area in Africa called the Congo, and there are only like a thousand left. In, wow. in this area So zoos are trying to breed them But that's why What you, zoos are so valuable at Is Can you imagine having to fly All the way to the Congo To try and see an akapi And you might not even see it in the wild So come to the Pretoria Zoo And see an akapi It sounds like such a cool animal Like a mixture And it's it got an amazing temperament it, it, It's such a wonderful animal it, It's not shy of people So it doesn't try and hide away It'll come up close uh, You can really create this bond, this connection with this akapi. He's, he's really a magnificent animal. So are they dangerous animals? Well, it's a giraffe. It's a, a smallish giraffe. So it's not going to, to deliberately harm you. If it feels threatened, it's going to try and protect itself. But it, it's a very docile animal. It's not like a poisonous snake. No, but again, you know, even with snakes, you know, they're not going to deliberately attack you. They're not going to ambush you, you know, wait around the bush and as you come around, bite you. Uh, you know, they'll do that when they feel threatened. So, that, you know, that most animals are like they, they're going to attack you if they're in a hunting mode, if they're being a predator and that. But they're not just going to deliberately bite you or kill you just for, for, for fun's sake. Yeah, and you need to know how to react. If, uh, like, let's say if a shark comes near you, uh, I don't know how I even know this, but you punch them on the nose, I think. That's one of the stories around it because they've got a lot of senses on the nose. But I think the big thing is don't get in the way of a shark so you don't have to punch it in its nose. Yeah, that must be quite scary. Also, your nose is right above your mouth. Yeah, exactly. So if you punch him in the nose, he might just manage to bite you. So yeah. it's quite a scary thing to do. And I think, you know, with, with sharks and that, first of all, that movie that came out many, many years ago, Jaws, gave sharks quite a bad name. 
And we always got to remember, even with sharks, when you have a shark attack, it's not because the shark has gone for a walk on the beach and suddenly finds you there. You're in its area, in its home, in the area where it occurs. And sharks, like a lot of animals, have to eat as well. So they just see you as prey. They're not saying, oh, he has another human. Let's have a quick bite of him. So it's all natural things that are happening. I actually remember we once went to the zoo and there was like a lion in this big enclosure. And there was like lots of people there. And the lion was like licking its lips. It's quite funny. It's like We're like, yeah, he wants a snack, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's seeing something tasty. And a lot of the, the predators, the big cats and that, will find... You know, young young kids and they're quite interesting because they're easy prey. So they're not they don't really distinguish distinguish between humans and other animals. You're prey, you're food, and they want to eat. Exactly, as we all want to eat as well. Yeah, they never fall. Yeah, that's also a challenge that we have in in the zoo because you know, take our our big cats, the lions, and that we can't give them food every single day. Because they're not as active. They don't have to physically go out and hunt other animals. So we take turns in feeding them. So if you come to a zoo on, on a certain day, you'll see the lions being fed. And if you come to the zoo on the next day, you'll see the tigers being fed. So there's always something different happening. But that's why their diets are so important, why we need people to study science and do mathematics and that. Because this is a whole scientific process to deciding you know, and determining what an animal eats. You can't just feed it until it becomes fat and obese because it makes it get ill. Uh, interesting a thing as well that we've, we've learned over the years that primates such as, you know, the big, big apes, gorillas and that, they can get similar diseases to what we get. So originally all zoos used to give their, their, their gorillas and that a lot of fruit to eat, but they found that gorillas can also get diabetes. So you've got to now wow. make sure you give them a very specific diet that's not too high in sugar. But again, as we understand animals more and we learn more, we can change how we interact, how we look after them, how we enrich them, how we design their enclosures, how do we keep them happy. So it's quite a process. Yeah, it's definitely very important to keep the animal happy because if they're not happy, then they're going to be aggressive. But it's not only that. It's, it's our responsibility. We're the ones who are taking care of them, and we have to take care of them to the best of our abilities. Sometimes we don't know that because we've got to understand, we've got to realize what, what the next step is. As I mentioned earlier on in the interview, here in the 1900s, it was okay to keep an animal on concrete because it was the best thing to do because you can get in there with a scrubbing brush and keep it clean. But now we've learned that doesn't work. You've got to keep it as natural as as possible. So tomorrow we might learn something new as well as we're studying animals. And the very important thing that we do in zoos, a lot of the things that we learn in that environment, we can actually use in the, you know, the outdoor, in the natural area where the animals occur in as well. So that's how zoos also save species out there is studying them, looking at their behavior and their diets and what diseases affect them and transferring that information to the wild. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but also one of the reasons why you have to be, why there has to be a natural enclosure is because if you, okay, well, we don't take animals from the wild anymore. Okay, let's say you get an animal, you have a lion, and it's not in its natural enclosure, so it's, let's say, in snow, and whatever, you give it food, and you don't let it hunt itself, and then if you want to let it go back into the wild, it doesn't know what to do in the wild anymore. So you can't really, it, will, it won't survive in the wild because it doesn't know how to survive in the wild. Exactly. So that, that's a very good point that you're making. Uh, you've got to keep an animal in a natural environment as possible. That's why many years ago we made a decision at the Pretoria Zoo that we won't display animals that we can't adequately house, you know, keeping them in as natural environment as possible. That's why we don't have polar bears because polar bears in southern Africa don't work. Um, 
so that's one of the big things why you've got to keep them in a natural environment. But also another reason why you do it because it doesn't it stresses them less because they're used to they they adapted to to that environment. We often get asked questions like now when it's quite hot outside there, how do the animals deal with the heat? But they're very well adapted to it. For instance, you know, elephants, that's why they're constantly moving their ears because they're busy fanning themselves. But they also have a lot of um, veins in their ears and the blood flows through there. And as it flows through the ears, a lot of the heat escapes through the ears. So animals are very well adapted. That's why you keep them in a natural area as possible and in the environment, the climate, as natural as possible as well. Animals are designed for their natural habitat. They have things that help them for the heat or for the cold or for the dryness or for the wetness. Exactly. Just as we, we adapt to our environment, animals are very well adapted as well. We've talked about the elephants now. Uh, you know, even, even cheetah, why do they occur in, in specific areas? Why do they, why are they designed for speed? You know, they don't occur in forest areas, so it'll be more in, in grass kind of areas. That's why they can run so fast, because they don't have to constantly be dodging trees. So that's how they have grown to become such effective anim- uh, species. Each one adapts to its natural environment. Yeah, exactly. They made they. You, that's why you can't. It's a big change for a lion to go into a polar bear's polar bear's enclosure because a polar bear is used to living in the cold and has a specific fur and I don't know what else to help it in the cold. A lion is used to the hot in Africa. Exactly, and you know that's also a reason. Something that we've been trying to do a lot of is to make people aware not to get wild animals and to try and keep them as pets. You know, you constantly hear of people having snakes and or they go and they find a tortoise and they'll take it home and then they feed it lettuce, for instance. Now, that is not enough nutrition for it. So we're constantly trying to tell people, don't do that. You know, don't keep wild animals as pets. You won't believe how many animals actually get dropped off at, at all the zoos in the, you know, around the world where people find, oh, they want a snake. You know, so they go off, they go to the pet shop, they buy a snake. And suddenly the snake is getting a bit big, you know, something like a, a, a python is getting too big for the house or the house, the dynamics in the house has changed. There's a, a baby born and they no longer feel safe. And what do they do? They come and drop them off at, at the zoo. That's one thing they do. The other thing that they sometimes do is they'll take this, this exotic animal, something that doesn't occur from this area, and they'll go and drop it off in the wild. Now, first of all, that animal is either it's going to starve to death because the food that it wants to eat is not there. That's the first thing. Or the other thing is they can be so super successful in that area that they kill off all the natural inhabitants of an area. That's why it's so so. You've got to really know about animals and be able to care for them. So rather don't keep pets, don't take anything out of the wild, don't pick up a tortoise, rather just leave them where they are and, you know, don't keep wild animals as pets. You know, they're not, they're not supposed to be pets. And talking about safety in the zoo for yourself and the animals, so what can you do to keep yourself safe? Should you feed the an- can you feed the animals? Like, it's quite fun. You just, like throw bread in or lettuce or tomatoes can you do that no we don't want you to do that and there's there's a number of reasons why we don't want that happening first of all all the animals get a very scientifically formulated diet so we know exactly what they should be eating how much they should be eating of it so if you're coming and you're just throwing in random food into the enclosure first of all it might not be what they normally eat, so they might get ill from it. It um, makes the, the diet just doesn't work. They might become fat and obese. That's one of the challenges. The other one is you may actually make the animal sick. 
because there's something called a zoonotic disease. Now, that's a very big word, but basically what it means is a disease that can come from a human to an animal or from an animal to a human. Um, you might have heard of something called TB or tuberculosis. It's a disease that affects uh, your lungs. But if you uh, as a human are sick and you've got tuberculosis and you're, for instance, TB, you bite into an apple and you throw that apple into a primate or a great ape enclosure and that animal eats the, that piece of fruit, they may get sick as well. So that's why you, we don't want you to feed our animals. Firstly, again, because we're giving them a very specific diet and you may actually make them sick. Even the common cold can come from humans to animals as well. And they, their immune systems might not be adapted to it and they could become very, very sick. So please don't feed animals. Rather and in support the wild, our, any, is it any different? Even if you have a pond with ducks, can you go and throw them bread? The disease risk is lower, but again, we discourage people from feeding wild wild animals. You know, it, it looks really fun to be able to give nuts and that, but again, that's how our knowledge has changed. It used to be okay in the past to to feed animals, you know, to go off and buy a packet of peanuts and give it to the elephants. But now we've realized because of this thing of disease can transfer from humans to animals. Now, if you want to do that, there's so many protocols or so many procedures that you have to do to prevent things from happening. So you've got to wash your hands first. You've got to scrub your hands first before you do it. So it's best rather not to feed wild animals at all. And also, even if you are feeding them the correct food, they might be, they, they probably have had the correct amount of food. And if you give them more, then they'll get fat. Exactly. So there's so, lots of reason why you should not feed animals in the zoo or in the wild. Rather just take a photograph and have a souvenir for when you go home. If you want to feed something, go and eat at our restaurants. Yeah, exactly. Delicious restaurants. Lots of different options. And if you had one wish, what would it be and why? I think if I had one wish, it would to get everybody to love animals out there, to be able to realize how important they are, that we're not a, a greater species than they are. But we have a responsibility to look after them, and we can change our behaviors at home, changing the way we use water, uh, recycling, reducing our, our impact on, on, on the environment there. But just realizing animals out there are our responsibility. We have to care for them because once they're gone, they're gone, and we'll never be able to bring them back again. So I think that's my, my big wish is that people really appreciate what we have. It's very important. You must not do anything that will harm an animal. Yeah, we've got to leave these animals for future generations so that other people, you know, our kids that come after us, they can appreciate as well. Can you imagine not seeing an elephant or not seeing a rhino or not even get to see fish? Or like showing you your child a picture of a rhino and saying like you used to be able to see this in the zoo. It, like you actually could see a real live rhino in the zoo. Yeah. And if you can't, just can you imagine if all we have, it, it's some form of videos or something like that? Because it's just not the same. You know, Definitely not. Going through to the zoo and, and just being able to make connection with an animal, looking at it in its eye. And, you know, you feel something. You get empathy for this animal. That's why it's so important to keep them going. Definitely. Thank you so much for coming on Car Kids and teaching us more about this awesome zoo. It sounds like an amazing place to go and to look at the animals. Thank you so much to my guest, Craig Allenby, for coming on Car Kids. And thank you to my producer, Mandy, and DJ Flo for pushing the big red buttons. Join us tomorrow for another Kids show, only on 101.9 High FM. This has been Kids, 4Kids, 5Kids!